Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. Trey is teaching on the subject of, I don't think you understand. There are things as believers that we may know in some part about God. But is there a greater understanding of Him and our relationship with Him that we could gain? Let's listen in to find out how a deeper understanding of what God has given us can lead to a more impacted and impactful life. If you take your copy of God's Word and find your way to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 is a text that we're going to settle on tonight. And as we come to that text, I want to just kind of help set the context for you before we get into the message. We're in the first part of Paul's letter here that he's writing to the church in Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians. And as he opens up this letter, he does so with the standard greeting like he does with most of the letters that Paul writes to the New Testament churches. He greets them in the name of Jesus. And then he begins to speak of the great blessings that we have in God through Christ. How we are chosen in Him. How we are adopted into His family. How we are redeemed and forgiven. How we are the beneficiaries of His rich grace and of the inheritance that we have in Him. And then as we come to verse 15, which is the text that I think God has for us to settle on tonight, we see that Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians. And in the original Greek language, from verse 15... To verse 23, it's all one sentence. A one sentence prayer that Paul lifts up for the Ephesians. Check out what he says, starting in verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also and the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. This will be the title and the construct of our message tonight. There are many things in life that I have a shallow understanding of, or no understanding at all. I don't understand, for instance, how the world's largest aircraft carrier, which weighs 100,000 tons, can float, but a dime sinks. I don't understand how a text can get from my phone to yours, or from yours to mine. I don't understand car engines. I don't understand photographs. Seriously, look, look, look at this photograph. Every time I do it, it makes me laugh. Some of you will get that later on. Which reminds me of something else that I don't understand either. I don't understand happy crying. I, I, what's the point? I don't understand you ladies half the time. And I speak from the heart on this one because I live with one. And I don't understand her half the time. But that's one of the miracles of marriage is that God makes it work. But I, I don't understand you, really, I don't half the time. 
I, I don't understand three-way stops. What's the point? I mean, so there are things that I just have a hard time fully grasping, and those are just a few of them. There are many, many more. And as Paul is praying this powerful and impactful prayer for the Ephesians, how would you like to have somebody pray for you like this, by the way? As he's praying this prayer for the Ephesians, there are three main things that he asks for. Things that I'm pretty positive the Ephesian believers knew in some part, but Paul wanted them to have a greater understanding of those things. And they're things that I'm sure as we look at them, we will acknowledge that we know in part. But I think Paul would say the same to us, even though we would confess that we know those things. He would say, no, I don't, I don't think you understand. I don't think you're really getting it the way God intends for you to get it. Look back at verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul asked in the beginning of his prayer that God, through His Holy Spirit, would give these people wisdom and knowledge of Him. And so my prayer is that God would do the same for us tonight as we dive into these three things that I think He wants to give us a greater understanding of. We need to ask His Spirit to reveal these things to us, to give us wisdom, to give us a greater knowledge of Him. And I know what the Ephesians would probably say. They're like, but Paul, we, we know God. Essentially, Paul's telling him in his prayer, look, I, I, want, you to, I want the Spirit to help you to know God. And I'm like, but we know God. We, we know who He is. We heard you preach the gospel. We've accepted the message by faith in Jesus Christ. Although we, we know who God is. But once again, I think Paul's voice would go out, no, I, I, don't, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. He prays that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. This is not a matter of the mind tonight. And spiritual things rarely are when they go to the next level. It's not a matter of our minds tonight. It's a matter of our hearts. And there's three things specifically that Paul prays for that I want us to look at in our lives and get to a deeper level of understanding with. And the first one is the hope you are called to. As Paul's praying for the Ephesians, I think he would say to them, look guys, I know you know God. And you say that you might know these things that I'm going to list out for you. But I don't think you understand, I don't think you fully understand the hope that you are called to. Look right in the middle of verse 18. Paul says that, that he wants the Spirit to reveal these things to him. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that their calling included a future hope. God's calling in our lives can entail many different things. Things like the fact that we have been called by grace. The fact that we have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. The fact that we have been called to glory. The fact that we have been called to live a righteous life. The fact that we have been called to live a life of service. The fact that we have been called to live a life of holiness. So God's calling on our lives can entail many different things. But what Paul wanted to make sure the Ephesians understood was that their calling also included a future hope. That future hope being the return of Christ. 
and our union with Him. When you encounter the word hope in Scripture, it always carries with it the meaning of assurance of the future. And I think that's important because sometimes we hope for things that aren't assured. Agreed? Sometimes we hope for things that aren't necessarily assured. I hope I get that job. I hope I pass that test. I hope that person likes me back. I hope I get a leaf blower for Christmas, which finally did actually happen. So praise God for that. Sometimes we hope for things that aren't always assured, but the hope that we are called to in Christ is assured. Our hope that we have in Christ is assured. Our hope that we have that He will one day come back is assured. Our hope that one day we will be unified with Him for all of eternity is assured. It is a set thing. It's not going to change. There are no circumstances. There are no situations. There are no outlying details. Nothing that could happen that could change the hope that we have in Christ. It is assured. It is set in Him. It's taken care of. But here's where I just don't think we have understood this. Because when we fully grasp the hope that we have been called to, it's life transforming. It's life transforming in the sense that when we understand that our eternity is assured, it leads us into a life abandoned. Because then we know that no matter what happens here, our hope is set. Our future is fixed. So when I begin to grasp the fact, once again, that my eternity is assured, that creates within me a desire to live a life abandoned. Because there is no such risk with Christ, right? If our hope is assured, if our future is fixed, then it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. It doesn't matter where He may call me to go, who He may call me to be, or where He may call me to go do it at. No matter what happens to me there. It doesn't matter if it's sickness, hardship, or trial, feast, or famine, or death. My hope is fixed in Christ and it is assured in Him. It is not changing. There is nothing that this world can do to change the hope that you have in Christ. Nothing. No circumstances, no situations, no sickness. Nothing can change the hope that we have in Christ. And when we grasp this, it leads to a life of abandonment unto Him. To go wherever He calls us to go. To do whatever He calls us to do. To be whoever He calls us to be. Fine, okay, no big deal because my hope is assured. I'm not worried, I'm not stressed, I'm not anxious because I've grasped the fullness of understanding and knowing that my hope is assured. We struggle with stress, we struggle with worry, we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with uncertainty because we don't have a deep enough understanding of the fact that our hope is assured. If we're just being honest. If we're just being honest. Because as I look around, even in my own life, I don't see very much of the church living abandoned. I see us living lives that are comfortable and safe. I see us choosing temporary satisfactions over eternal investments. I see us choosing not to forsake the very things that God called us to put down. I don't see abandonment. Our hope and our assurance is that we will one day see Jesus and become like Him. But the hope that we are called to doesn't just transform our future. It changes our present. It's not just that one day we will be like Him. It's that we should every day be becoming like Him. 
we are to be conformed to His image with each and every day that He gives us here on this earth. So it's not just that I look to the future, it's that I'm changed in the present. Yes, I know I will become like Him, but each and every day I should strive to be becoming like Him. Do we understand the hope that we've been called to? It's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I think his prayer extends into our realm tonight. But there's another thing that Paul wanted to gain a greater understanding of. and That's found in the last half of verse 18. He wanted them to have a, a greater understanding of the riches of his inheritance. So look back in verse 18. We'll just read the whole thing again. It says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then the second thing, he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I don't think you understand the riches of his inheritance. As Paul continues in his prayer, he prays that these people may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He isn't talking about the inheritance that God's people have in him. He's talking about the inheritance that God considers he has in us. What? What? God considers us as an inheritance? You understand what an inheritance is, right? An inheritance that is, is something that is of great wealth. Something that is of great value. So God looks at us as His born again children, His redeemed creation, and He says, that's my inheritance. When I look at Eric, I see something of great value and wealth. When I look at Ashley, I see something of great value and wealth. Every single person that has come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God the Father looks at you as an object and as a possession of great value and wealth. You are His inheritance. And that blows my mind because I don't see myself that way. I don't see myself as something anybody would want to inherit. But that's what God does in His grace and His love and His mercy when He redeems us by the blood of His Son and we're covered in His righteousness. He says, yes, that's mine. I value you. You're my possession. You hold such great value to me. You are an object of wealth for me. Paul wants them to understand the fullness of this amazing truth, and I want us to begin to understand the fullness of it as well. We are his special possession. As his inheritance Get this, we are something that God is looking forward to enjoying forever. <laughs> now don't get it confused. This isn't about us, as if God needs us. Because oftentimes that's what we as sinful human beings want to turn it around into, and that's even what some popular pastors nowadays want to tell you, that this is all about you. This is a man-centered gospel, that God is all about you, and, and, and He couldn't do anything apart from you, and that is so completely false. Yes, God blesses our lives. Yes, we are His inheritance, but this isn't about us. This isn't as if God needs us for some kind of blessing in His life. He could have done without us for all of eternity. He could have just been God by Himself. He is all-sustaining and all-self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. But He chose to have us. So what that tells me is, is that this is about His marvelous grace. And this is about His eternal love that He has for each and every one of us. And I don't think that we have understood this either. Because once again, it's life transforming. The purpose of an inheritance is to do what? It's to bring blessing to the person that receives it. 
And the person that's the giver of the inheritance gives it out of love for whoever they leave it to. And so when we understand that we're God's inheritance, we give our lives over to Him out of love. And we live with the purpose of bringing Him blessing. I hope we can understand this. I really hope we can grasp this tonight. When we understand that we are God's inheritance, then we give our lives over to Him out of love as His possession. And it's no longer about Him blessing us. It's about us blessing Him. I want my life to be an inheritance that He is blessed by. I want my life to be an inheritance that fills God with great joy when He looks forward to enjoying it for all of eternity. And I don't think we have that mindset about us because we haven't understood this point, that we are His possession. We get so caught up, guys, in only wanting to receive blessing from God as our inheritance. Do we have an inheritance in God? Has He given us a great inheritance in Him? Absolutely He has. You better believe it. It is all throughout Scripture, the inheritance that we have gained in God through Christ. The entire book of Ephesians. This is just chapter 1. Paul speaks about it all throughout the entire book of Ephesians. Yes, we have received an inheritance from God through Christ. But we get so caught up in just that simple part of it. Where all we care about is receiving blessing from God as our inheritance. And this is why I say we haven't grasped this truth in its fullness. Because when we begin to understand that we are the riches of His inheritance, it changes us completely. And it changes our mindset and the way in which we approach God and the things that we ask of God. And our desire becomes not just to receive a blessing from Him as our inheritance, but to be a blessing to God as His inheritance. That's different. That's a changed lifestyle. That's understanding the truth of what Paul is saying. And when I realize that I'm an inheritance that God has in me, I want to be a blessing to Him. It's not just about me constantly asking God for blessings in my life. We're so, we're pro at that. God bless this in my life. God bless that in my life. God, I'm serving you here, so I expect blessing there. God, I'll be obedient here if blessing's on the other side of it. That's so back. That's only half of enjoying God. The other half is us giving back. It's not just receiving from Him. It's being a blessing to Him. I just don't see very many of us living in such a way. Matt, what makes a father more proud than when one of their children performs an act of love for you? Do you get more enjoyment out of performing acts of love for your children? Or do you get more enjoyment out of when your children perform acts of love for you? I can guarantee you, I'm not a dad, but I have a pretty good idea of which one is more fulfilling. God loves to give good gifts to His children. But man, what it must do to His heart when His children turn around and give the gift back to Him. I don't think we understand the riches of His inheritance. It's His inheritance. Let's stop focusing so much on ours and start living our lives built around the understanding of the fact that we know that we are His inheritance. And see what kind of transformative power 
that it has within us because then our lives become about being a blessing, not just receiving one. But there's one last thing that Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand. And it's found in verse 19. So go back and read verse 18 just to keep it all in context. Because we've seen it step by step. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then here it is. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I don't think we understand the immeasurable greatness of his power in us. Paul wanted the Ephesians to grasp and understand the power that was at work within them. And I do believe that it is something that can be understood. I do believe it is something that can be understood. Why? Because Paul describes it as immeasurable, not incomprehensible. We typically won't interact with things that we don't understand. Would we agree? We typically don't tend to interact with what we don't understand. So my question is, why would God fill us with something without also giving us the capability of understanding it and not just understanding it, but accessing it? I don't think he would. I don't think that he would. But still, I think we're missing out on really understanding the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in us. Then Paul breaks it down in three ways, three ways in which we can see the way the power of God fills us. The first one is, is that it's resurrecting power. So go back to verse 19 with me. The second part of it says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power Toward us who believe, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So it's a resurrecting power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead also fills our lives. And I don't feel like that point necessarily has to be accentuated. We are filled with a power that has conquered life's greatest enemy and obstacle. And when we begin to grasp the fact that we have been filled with resurrecting power, then all of life's problems will tend to become so much more insignificant in comparison to that great power that is at work within us. If God has the power to raise His own life from the dead, and He fills us with that same power, why do we walk around in fear over certain things in this world? That power in and of itself, that resurrecting power in and of itself, has conquered what we would consider to be our greatest enemy that could ever be overcome, and that's death in and of itself. And it's overcame. It's conquered, and that same power exists within us. So it's a resurrecting power. And the second thing is, it's an ascending power. Look back to the text. Back at where we left off in verse 20, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and it says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also and the one to come. This power shows that Christ is in a position where he is above all. He is the top of the line. He is the head of the ladder. There is nothing above him. Just as he is seated at the right hand of God, God's word tells us that we are seated in the heavenly places with him. It's an ascending power. If Christ is above all, we are above all with him. 
It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It almost sounds like borderline heresy to see these things. But that's how immeasurably great the power is. That's why Paul said it's immeasurable. You can't measure it. That's why it almost seems too good to be true. But we can comprehend it. Through the giving of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to wrap our minds and see and realize this power that we have living within of us. Some of you tonight have already had the hearts, your hearts enlightened to things that you never even imagined. You're already seeing it right now in a way which you've never seen before. You're beginning to realize, holy stuff, this is real. This is the kind of power that can be evident in my life. There's a third extension to the power. It's not just resurrecting. It's not just ascending, but it's also exalting. Look at verse 22. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This power exalts Christ to a position of power over all things. There is no ruler. There is no kingdom. There is no dominion, there is no principality, there is no power that can overtake Christ. He is above it all. God has put all things underneath his feet. It's an exalting power. And just as all things are underneath his feet, as his children, all things are under yours as well. That means that there is no scheme that the forces of hell can conjure up that can overtake you. There is no temptation that is common to man that can overtake you. There is no trial, there is no situation, there is no circumstance that this life can place in your path that can overtake you. We are filled with this power. God has filled our lives with this great power, but once again, I don't think we have understood it. Because this one in particular isn't just life transforming. This one is world transforming. World transforming. In the book of Acts, the disciples were so filled with the power of God that they were accused of turning the world Upside down. That's how filled with the power of God they were. They understood it. When Jesus was on the earth with them, before he ascended, he said, you will receive what? You will receive power to be my witnesses. And they experienced it. Every day of their lives, they encountered things. They experienced things that they never thought they would imagine. They were accused of turning the world upside down. This is why I think we haven't understood the immeasurable greatness of His power at work in us. Because as I look around, I see a power shortage in our lives personally and in our church specifically. A power shortage. I don't see the kind of things taking place that was taking place back in the New Testament church when it was first being started. Who said that those things were ever supposed to stop? Who said that we were supposed to ever stop seeing thousands come to Christ on a daily basis? I don't think it was supposed to stop. I think we just lost our understanding of the power that indwells us. We haven't cared to continue to press into it 
It's one of those things that sounds good on paper, but it can never be a reality. And that's what we've messed up so horribly. We've turned things that God has given us in his word and the words on a page and not a reality in our life. God never meant for this just to be words on a page. If he did, he would have never called it living and active. If it's living and active here, it should be living and active here. As I look around, I see a power shortage. And I see it in my own life. And I'm not just saying this about your life. Maybe it's true in your life. Maybe it's not. But as God carried me through these things, I became overwhelmed with conviction because I don't see this power at work in my life. I think we've put surge protectors on our lives. And instead of living lives of full power, we're living lives of limited power. And it's torn me up on the inside. It has absolutely brought me to my knees in my office because we are living like, excuse me, because I'm living a life that is not fully understanding the hope that I have, the riches of his inheritance, and the immeasurably greatness of his power at work in me. If this was truly a part of our lives, guys, we would see things happen on our campus that we never thought would happen. If this was true in our lives, we would see things happen within our families we never thought would actually happen. If this was true in our lives, we would see things happen in the places where we work we never imagined would happen. The immeasurable greatness of his power. I feel powerless most of the time in my life. Powerless. Whose fault is that? It's mine. Absolutely my own. God lead us into understanding. Thanks again for checking out this week's message. How amazing it is to see and know the things that God has filled our lives with. We encourage you to daily seek a greater understanding of Him and the promises that He has placed in your life. Make sure to keep checking back in for what's happening here next at Life.